0: I am not much of a traditionalist. Some of you may have picked up on that, uh, if you've known me for any length of time. Most of the time when somebody says, oh, this is how we should do this, or this is how we have to do this, I'm, I'm kind of like, well, why, why is that? And I try to find a, a different way to go about it, just because I don't want to have to do same, things the same way all the time. But there are some things that I want to do the same all the time, and that comes when it comes to Christmas. Christmas. I, I, there are some Christmas traditions that I just love. I want them to be the same every year. Some of those are making Christmas cookies with the family. Uh, my granny's bread that she used to make, I, I always want to have that at Christmas time. She always made homemade bread that's ama- when it's toasted and it's got butter on it. It's just, it is the best thing you have, you have ever had in your life. We always fry oysters as part of Christmas brunch. Is it, anybody else do that for their Christmas tradition? Yeah, maybe? Okay. Yeah, sweet. All right. There's more than one of us out out there. It's it's one of my favorite things that we do. I love wrapping presents, watching Christmas movies, you know, going and seeing lights, putting those things up, the occasional Christmas gathering with friends, all those things, for me, come together and make Christmas feel like Christmas. I love those traditions. There's one thing, however, that would just make Christmas perfect. And some of you know what it is, and some of you are about to hate what I'm about to say, but it's snow. That would... Okay. Yes. Oh, we got some boos and hisses. Yeah. See, I, this. Yeah, this sermon here is all about controversy. So if you're here last week, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So snow. Uh, to me, I feel like we're we're here maybe Christmas Eve service, and and you and you look out a, as the service is over. You walk out in the lobby and you look out there, and there's just snow has just started falling, and it's just beautiful, and it's idyllic, and you you go home and and drive through, and, you know, you you turn your lights on, get on the interstate, and it's like you've hit light speed, you know, and and, and you're driving through the snow. It's amazing. And you wake up on Christmas morning, and everything is just covered in a blanket of white. Now, if I think about it, as a kid growing up in Richmond, Virginia, the number of white Christmases I had... (laughs) Are pretty slim to none maybe maybe that happened one time growing up I I think and so that to me would make a a perfect Christmas I would love for that tradition to happen every year and if you don't like that no perfect people allowed so you're still you're still welcome here at, at velocity but that to me would be perfect all those things put together but the likelihood of all those things happening this Christmas are pretty slim to none and I don't I don't know if you're to that place in your life where some of the traditions that I think about as a kid that we used to have I and mean, we used to have like three massive meals on Christmas Day because we're going to both grandparents' house to my great grandmother's house and you'd get there to her house and be like no I can't eat anymore and she'd be deeply offended I mean she would she wouldn't tell you that but her just face would you, you just tell and you're like oh no I'm, I'll eat I'll eat <laughs> you know kind of crying as you're shoving more pie in your face. You know, there's so many different traditions. They shift and they change as they go, you know, through the years. And sometimes things feel a little bit different. Um, It can have a significant impact on how we feel about how we celebrate those significant moments in our life. But they aren't the only things that make those moments significant. And if really, if I'm really honest, and and I really think about it, if all the traditions that I love about Christmas, if all of those are taken away, do I still have something to celebrate? You know, it kind of maybe seems silly to even say, because we're here in church, and you know the answer that I'm about to give, and, and we learned that from the Grinch movie too, right? So, or the Grinch book, I guess it's, it started there. That, yeah, there is something significant to continue to celebrate when it comes to the meaning of Christmas. I mean, even take away Christmas itself, the idea of celebrating. Do you know, and hopefully this is not too much of a shock, do you know that celebrating Christmas is not in the Bible? I mean that's that's not a thing. Like so, let's let's take away all the lights. Let's stop singing Christmas carols. Let's let's not do anything. Is there still a reason to celebrate? Because of why we celebrate? Well, yeah, because because Jesus came, and that's what Christmas is all about. I mean, did you know, for example, that Jesus' birth being celebrated December twenty fifth? That, that's just the tradition. That's not not when Jesus was actually born. Hopefully, hopefully we're okay with, with hearing that. You know, it's just. I'm not trying to challenge anybody, but that's it, one, one of those traditional things. If we take those things away, you know, some other traditions that we have, um, Jesus' family not having a room in the Holiday Inn Express. It's not how it happened. Um, we, we translate in because of it's, it's an easier way for us to conceive of, but it's more likely that they didn't have a room in the private home of one of their distant relatives. Um, they weren't given space in a cave or in a barn. That's, that's not where they kept their animals. It would have been an open courtyard area in that home. Um, the wise men, for example, they didn't get there the same night Jesus was born. They came later, maybe even up to two years later. And so, and I, and I feel like maybe I say this each year, but it bears repeating. When you put out your nativity scene, don't throw your wise men out just put them on the other side of the room. You know, they're, they're still on their way. Right? They're, they're, they're coming. They're there. They're, they're going to get there, but they're, they're just kind of on their way. And there weren't, there weren't three wise men. There were three gifts. So you could add one or, or remove one if you really wanted to. Strip away all the trappings of tradition, no snow, no presents, all of our plans going, falling through, not getting enough time to spend with people that we love. We still have a moment that's worth celebrating that provides us with an opportunity to capture the true significance of Jesus' coming. And so as we've been looking at the message of Christmas through Christmas carols, the song that we sing and what they teach us, the theology and the the information that they present about who Jesus is and why this time of year is important, we're going to be looking at, at O Holy Night this morning. O Holy Night is a classic. It's also quite the range tester. Originally, this poem was written... And, and uh, it was written by, by a guy, and he asked his friend to put music to it, and so they did, and they decided to put music together for, for an opera singer to present it. So the first ever time it was sung, it was sung by an opera singer. So it's, it's, quite, it, it's quite the range tester. It was written in the mid-1800s by a, a Frenchman at the request of the parish priest of the town. It was to celebrate, yeah, it's around Christmas, but it wasn't really actually about Christmas. It was to celebrate... The completion of the renovation of the church organ—talk about a talk about a, a tradition right there, right? Can you can you imagine? So, Placide Capot, you like that? Uh, penned the French poem that we've come to know as the lyrics of "A Holy Night." So, we've got the lyrics up here on the screen, and that's—you can kind of check them out if if you can see that. And just reminded of those of what those three verses say. We're going to sing it a little bit later. Uh, Later on in our service, this Christmas carol became extremely popular. In fact, several days later, it would be played on the first ever radio broadcast, which happened to be on Christmas Eve in 1906. In the very beginning of its popularity, however, um, it was quickly snuffed out by the church because the author, Capot, was an atheist and was not a fan of the church. Now, why he chose to honor the parish priest, and I'm not sure what the timeline of, of belief was for him and his life, but why he decided to honor the parish priest's request to write this, I'm not sure. Uh, but it's pretty clear that he had done his research because the lyrics are pretty spot on. The, it was translated into English by an American, and, and there's there's a pretty significant glaring problem, though, that this, that this carol has. Uh, it's, it's not very theologically accurate, I'll say. And the biggest problem that we have with it is, is the title just isn't right. Oh, Holy Night. The title isn't right, but one of the things it does, if you continue to look through the, what, the, what the original author, Capot, chooses to focus on, it gives us a pretty good look into what he really wanted to believe about Jesus. And the title represents what we often get wrong about Jesus. Right? The first glaring problem is there's nothing holy about the night that Jesus was born. Nothing, nothing holy about the night. Jesus is the one who is holy. And I, I can appreciate the artistic license here. It's like, oh, it's not that deep. You know, don't look into it. Because maybe subconsciously, we just kind of automatically, make, instinctively make the distinction in our head. We've already corrected it in our minds. We know why it's really ho- holy. But the line calling the night that Christ was born holy also identifies one of the problems that has plagued Christianity's witness ever since humans got, got involved. Uh, we, we tend to place traditions and preferences on the same level of that which is holy. I mean, this song was, like I said, written to dedicate a renovated organ. Um, I don't know how many of you grew up in church. Anybody grew up in church with a church organ? where That was a part of it. Okay, a few of, us, a few of us have. Can you imagine if someone were to come in and say, we need to get rid of that organ? You know what would happen in that church that you grew up in I mean, people would be like, oh, I'm gone. Like, we're <laughs> burn it down. You know, this, you, you can't, can't do this. I know a church who had, had an organ, and they hadn't had anybody play that organ for years. I mean, just kind of sat there collecting dust, and they're like, you know, we're, we've decided, church leadership, we've decided that we don't, we don't use this anymore, which is, which is fine. We've decided to donate this to a good home, so we're going to see if there's another church that would be blessed by having this and stuff. Man, you wouldn't believe the handful of people that were like, I mean, they were tore up about it. They were upset. It's like, no, this cannot be, you know. What, what are you thinking? We're going to leave and go, so, go somewhere else. Um, they lost the perspective that it isn't the organ that's holy. <laughs> it's, it's the one we worship with it that's holy. But it's not just within the church that we do this. We tend to take traditions and we put a lot of time and effort into them and, and maybe miss the significance of what the tradition is, is meant to, meant to uh, represent. Take Take weddings for example. Weddings are interesting for me because sometimes I, I officiate weddings. Actually, I've got one coming up where I'm the best man and the officiant for the wedding. So that's gonna be that's gonna be kind of neat. Um, I'm really excited about that. Uh, weddings are really interesting to me because sometimes, and this is this is not all all the time. I mean, there's some there, there have been some weddings uh, that I I'm you know I get to do a couple weddings next year that I'm really looking forward to. Um, there's some weddings that I've done where I've kind of been I haven't known the couple at all, you know, before, before doing it. So I've, I've done, you know, somebody connected me with them and, it, and I kind of, I'm, I'm kind of there and kind of making observations. And one of the observations that I make is sometimes people do a whole lot of planning for the wedding, but not much at all for the marriage. And so people will spend tens of thousands of dollars on on this this ceremony, you know they're they're buying everybody food and they're buying everybody drink and you've got this amazing you've got this amazing uh, venue and you've got the music and you've got all the all this kind of stuff, and then last minute they're like oh we should probably ask a pastor, um and 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 you do all these incredible things drop just a ton of money on this thing, and you realize like it's it's they've spent a lot of time on on this but and you look at the interactions that they have, the way that they talk to each other, the way that, the way that they treat each other, and you're thinking, huh, I'm not sure how this is going to go. You know, e- even for something that, that we think is, is so special to, to be able to do as a church, like we're going to have a Christmas Eve service. We're going to have two, 3.30 and 5 on Christmas Eve. We gather to, together for Christmas Eve. You know, the act of gathering together the only one who is worthy of worship is what makes it a holy moment. If we stop doing Christmas Eve service, like, who, who cares? I mean, we, we do it because it's an opportunity to worship, and that's great. We can we take that on, but, you know, the tradition is not what is important. It's the one who, who's, who's putting that tradition about. The wedding, you know, the wedding is great. It's fun. We can celebrate it. Like, that, that's going to be a good time, and we should do it. But the wedding is, that celebration, the party is not what's important. It's the holy covenant of marriage you know that that we enter into when we take away we, we could go through all kinds of lists when we take away all of our traditions and all of our preferences we're left with the one thing that matters and that's jesus and what we all need to be reminded of is what is truly holy and worth centering our lives around let me just read a couple lines from that first verse long lay the world and sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Disciples of Jesus, when we are centered around what is truly holy in our life, every day starts fresh with the realization that Jesus has come, that he is coming again, and that this makes all the difference. We get wearied and the soul becomes dragged down when we give equal importance to anything else other than God's glory in our life. It is in our darkest moments, the world separated from God due to our sin, that we are given the thrill of hope that life with Jesus brings. And it's that perspective that we really need more than anything else, more than any other tradition, more than anything else that we enjoy in Christmas. That's what we really need. That's what the soul needs. I want to read, and maybe this, this is not a traditional Christmas passage, but I'm going to read from Lamentations chapter 3. If you have your Bibles and you want to turn to that Old Testament Right, and this is Jeremiah uh, just talking about, uh, talking about the, the desperation that he is feeling as he sees Jerusalem uh, fall. And, and this is what he says in Lamentation chapter 3. I'm going to start in verse 17 and just hear, hear where he starts off. Everything, everything that, you know, uh, culturally speaking, everything that he's used to in his life is being taken away. Uh, he's, he's watching that all be removed. And so he says, my soul is bereft of peace. I've forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished, so has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall, the bitterness and the bile. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. Maybe maybe some of you are like, you know, there's some traditions that I really wish I could have this Christmas but are not going to happen because of things that are going on in my life. Maybe, Maybe you can kind of relate to some of this. But then Jeremiah shifts, he says, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Another great hymn, by the way. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Of course, what we celebrate is that we don't have to wait at all anymore because the Holy One has come. And every day is a new day for us to experience the freedom to be found in making Jesus the Lord of our lives. When we have clarity in the one who is holy, we have clarity in what it means to pursue holiness. Sometime after Jesus was born, like I mentioned, up until about two years after Jesus' birth, a group of wise men show up with, from the east with gifts for Jesus. These were well-educated advisors to kings, experts in multiple disciplines. And as a result of the Israelites' captivity in other nations hundreds of years ago, their writings and records of God's word were given exposure to and studied by these men. And so they had written some of the, they had read some of the prophecies and the word of God that had been written centuries before. They had studied those things as part of their collection of knowledge about many different things. And their knowledge from the writings from what we now call the Old Testament led them to show up to honor the king of kings with their gifts. So this is from Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And, and for many of us, this is going to be a familiar passage, uh, but maybe the reason why this is in here is not as familiar to us. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled because he was an absolute, absolutely horrific human being. And all Jerusalem with him, it, and I say that because it, in the historical record you can read more about Herod and, and just find he, he was like a despotic um, ruler and, and, and absolutely terrible. Uh, any challenge to his power meant many people were going to die, okay? So that's why he was troubled and why all Jerusalem was troubled with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Herod was so disturbed because, as I mentioned before, he had amassed a great deal of power over the years, and many people had died for it. And as much control over his life and kingdom he could wield, he did so. In fact, after the wise men went and did not come back to him, he just decided to kill every male child two years and under in that region. This is why Mary, Jesus, and Joseph had to go seek refuge in Egypt for a time. We can be, well, I can't say that. Um, Herod died a horrific death. Um, I was going to say something along the lines of he got what he deserved, but don't, you know, if we go based on what we deserve when it comes to the Holy One, you know, not much of us, we, we don't, there's not much good that we do deserve, but Jesus changes that. Herod had sucked as much as he could out of life and drew it all to himself. So, so as much, in as much as we could have as much agency or power over what happens in our life, Herod Herod did. And so he acquired all the things, he had all of his preferences met, he had all his desires, everything he could ever want for, he gathered all of those things to himself and yet it still wasn't enough for him to be happy, it still wasn't enough for him to be joyful, and he completely missed anything that was good or wholesome or holy about life. These wise men, however, left the comfort of everything that they had, they left their home. They, they traveled thousands of miles over great distances, over a great period of time, brought other people along with them, and they gave their precious gifts of great value and meaning away to the king who's overall. Not because Jesus had all the trappings of royalty. They didn't come to pay honor to Herod. He didn't, Jesus didn't have the robes and the crowns and the coffers full of money, the army, armies, the pomp and circumstance, the lands and power over people. They came and honored him because of Jesus' lineage, where he came from, and his purpose, what he came to do. Jesus is the son of God who will lead humanity to God. In fact, Jesus establishes an entirely new, different kingdom, full of grace and truth, providing us exactly what we need while directing us to honor the one who provides it. It is the pursuit of the kingdom of God that produces the holiness that that completes us, that we really need. And not because we do it under our, own, our, under our own power, but because God does provide what we desperately need through Jesus. Verse 2 of Holy, o Holy Night says, Here came the wise men from Orient land. The king of kings lay thus in lowly manger. In all our trials, born to be our friend. He knows our need. To our weakness is no stranger. Behold your king before him lowly bend." When we lay all of who we are and all of what we have at the feet of the one who is holy, we receive something greater in return than what we give up. When we give up our temporary kingdoms, God exchanges that temporary kingdom that sometimes we have such a hard time letting go of. We, we want to hold on to all the things that we want to be just the way we want to be them. God, When we give those up, God welcomes us into his eternal kingdom. That provides for everything that we could possibly need and ultimately want in our lives. This is what it looks like to pursue holiness as set forth by the one who is holy. Our pursuit of holiness is measured by what Jesus deserves as our holy king. So may we not be distracted by what is marginal so that it doesn't replace what is integral in our lives. May we not be distracted by our traditions and our preferences and all the, all the little things that really don't matter when it boils down to what truly is real life in this life. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 2, he says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. May we be reminded that the holiness of Jesus requires that we celebrate who he is with something much greater and deeper than just our favorite t- traditions, or just our favorite ones. In verse 3, and this is the last verse, Capot wrote, truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love, and his gospel is peace. Change shall he break, for the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. One of the darkest traditions um, in the history of our nation and in, in our world, um, that people have participated since people have been around as slavery. You know, Old Holy Night, part of its tradition, part of its background, is that this became a very favorite Christmas hymn among the abolitionist movement because it calls out the actions that we participate as we pursue the holiness of God that's represented in Jesus. Regardless of how ingrained some of these traditions might be in our culture, um, Jesus' holiness demands and deserves righteousness, righteous behavior based on God's word. It's empty tradition based on faulty reasoning on foundation of sand that has caused and continues to cause humanity to participate in in unholy, you know, atrocious behavior. But because he is holy, God cannot permit injustice. And the justice that Jesus pursues in his holiness, it it requires and assumes our participation. And so as we look through the flow of this song, O Holy Night, you know, it's not the night that's holy. It's Jesus is the one who's holy. And Jesus is the one who's holy because of who he comes from. He comes from God. And he's holy because of what he does, what God sends him to do. He came came to save us from our sin. And he didn't just come to save us from our sin, but he also came to show us a brand new kingdom, a brand new way of living in a world that is broken by sin. And so as we celebrate the Holy One, as we pursue holiness as he is holy, holy it draws us into a completely different way of living, a co- completely different way of celebrating, a, a new set of traditions, if you will, that Jesus welcomes us, that welcomes us into. There's a lot of political and social and economic traditions that do not measure up to God's justice and holiness. And yes, I'm specifically talking about our cultural context here in, here, here in our country. I mean, it's true across the world as well. And we will feel the tension to conform to those things because we live and work in a world that's caught up into itself. But may we remember who is worthy of all that we are and all that we have to keep us centered on what really matters to the one who saves us. As, the way I see it is that when it comes to the Holy, oh Holy Night, we have two choices. We could be really uncomfortable with the fact that an atheist is teaching us about Jesus through this song. Or we can understand that we often get caught up in our traditions and our preferences so much that we miss the point of what Jesus' birth is meant to accomplish. And sometimes it's really helpful to be reminded of the simple truths of the gospel, even if they're identified by someone who, who maybe struggles with the belief, but who reads the words of Jesus and wrote down what he sees represented. Jesus brings the opportunity for all to be freed from the consequences of sin and death. And Jesus came to be a unique Lord and King, a divine ruler whose kingdom sets everyone free from the burdens. And Jesus does that. But we have to make the choice to not be enslaved by so many other things in in life. Pursuing holiness through Jesus helps us to start unraveling the bonds and breaking the chains that have maybe held us back from experiencing what true joy and true meaning and true purpose really is and how it is found in God. And once we've been set free, we're brought together to continue the holy work of the kingdom, to end the oppression of sin, end the oppression of man, end injustice wherever we find it, through the rule of love and the gospel of peace. We define holiness by the one who is holy. And this in turn produces a life worth living that is defined by the one who is worthy. So may we pursue holiness as Jesus models holiness for us. Peter says, you know, be holy as Jesus is holy. And that's how we're called to celebrate. is to celebrate the freedom from sin that God gives us through Jesus and to celebrate by striving as Jesus does for what is just. And so my encouragement to you is to find, find a way to contribute to the holiness of God, to participate in that way this season. Um, you know, it could be helping, helping provide food with moments of hope. It, you know, some of us, you know, brought in gifts for Fresh Start or contributing to the Advent offering, you know, that's, that's for um, moments of hope and, and night at the end to help, you know, homeless, uh, or h- homeless friends that are struggling this season to have a, have a warm place to be to spend, spend Christmas um, to have food, shelter, and clothing, um, whatever you do, maybe it 's something that you can do as your family, maybe it 's something completely uh, different. Um, fi- find a way to just join in with what this season is all about, and maybe even make it a tradition let 's pray God <clears throat> this uh, this time of year is so much about centering us on on what what this life is really about. So God, we, uh, in the midst of all the things that, that we enjoy, um, and not taking away of any, any, any of those things, help us to be reminded of what makes those things that we enjoy matter. So God, help us to be reminded of, of your holiness, of, of your kingdom, and pursuing your, your justice, so that, that the oppression of, of sin, the fear of death, might cease. God, help us to be guided and directed by your law of love and to share the good news of peace with others as we celebrate who you are and we give you glory for what you have done. God, we ask all these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.